0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and I want to thank you so much for spending the next uh, event of time with me. And once again, I will hope to not let it go too, too long so you don't have to run (laughs) it on high speed, right? So, hey, what are you going to do? But uh, hopefully things are going well for you in your life, and uh, the weather is been crazy here up and down it well it really hasn't been too cold i mean cold enough to snow that we didn't get too much but then later on in the week it's supposed to be 58 degrees and then it's supposed to get cold again so my cover crop does not like would never like that digital on off on off excuse me come up, you know go into dormancy wake up a little bit half half drowsy and then go back to sleep so i'm interested i'm interested to see because this actually looks like it's the worst cover crop i've ever had so sometimes it looks that way and then it comes up beautifully so uh i don't know what happened to it because uh when i planted it well i didn't really plant it. i broadcast spread it and uh, we got rain even though it was it was a drought it was a drought but the drought kind of broke So it came right up, and then I don't know whether the deer just grazed it too short or who knows. But it uh, definitely is disappointing as far as that aspect of it is concerned. But we shall see what the uh, good Lord holds for us with that cover crop. And uh, hopefully you guys had a chance to check out a couple of those On the Road podcasts. And uh, I think that you will enjoy them. And I have a couple of other potential guests lined up. And uh, hopefully we make it happen with them also. But we will see. And on today... Oh, jeez. Oh, here it is. I almost forgot. I really should make myself an outline. Uh, what I need to talk about. But I do want to... I, I need to invite you all to send me a pin in my map. To invite you all. Well, that's not... I'm going to ask you to please send me a pin in my map. That's what I meant to say, not invite you like you're doing me a favor. I'm like I'm doing you a favor. I'm right to send a pin. So you're doing me the favor. So I would appreciate it if you send me a pin in my map. And how you do that is just let me know where you listen from. Go on to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com. Fill out that form to win a free hot rod farmer license plate. Well, it has to be free, right, if you're winning it. They can't be winning it and paying for it. Oh, you, you won something you got to pay for. I mean, that's, uh, that's crazy. And also, you'll get into the contest to win to win one of the four Fent die cast models. So all you have to do is fill out that form, and I would appreciate to know where you're listening from so that I could better serve you. And uh, I got a couple of interesting uh, topics that are going to be coming up on Farm Machinery Digest Radio. And one of them is I'm hoping to get together with a company that makes balancing equipment. And I would do an episode on the radio show, which makes no difference because you can listen to it as a podcast a week later on my website or most podcast hosting sites, and um, talk about combine drum or rotor, some people call it a drum, some people call it a rotor, balancing and I think it's very important to understand about that. And it's probably a subject that no one has ever really spoken about to any grade level. I, I understand balancing. Uh, I've never been a balancer, meaning running a balancing machine professionally. I've gone to school for taking the class on it. So we balance cranks and everything uh, in the class, but I never did it as a vocation but I do have a have a knowledge of balancing what needs to happen and I want to bring this to the audience about a combine but I'm going to do that on farm machinery digest radio because I've never had a guest on this show this show has always been me and for over 300 episodes and I like to keep it that way and it's not that I'm I'm trying to say that I'm better than anybody else or what have you but I think it's important uh for me to be able to to connect with you the audience with no and i'm not going to say a bias because the people i do have on my show i do it under the on the radio show i do it under the getting to know so getting to know the massey ferguson tractor getting to know this getting to know that because i have an expert on that particular product but this is but idle chatter is a generic knowledge show and uh thankfully i don't need anybody to explain what i talk about even though maybe sometimes it sounds like i should have somebody explaining it so that is that and i have a couple other things uh coming up on uh farm machinery digest radio hoping to get together and, and as of yet i mean hey you know i'm a straight shooter i'm honest i'm not gonna i'm not gonna anything and also uh I'm not going to lie, but no one responded to me. And maybe because I only said it once or twice because I forgot to say it. That's probably uh, probably more of a reason. About the farm shops. I want to start to get some people on the radio show uh, talking about their farm shop. It doesn't have to be a fancy schmancy shop. It doesn't have to be huge. But how you set up your farm shop, is it a repurposed building? What did you do? What did you put in? What kind of investment did you make? what are you happy about what are you disappointed what would you do again what would you not do again and I think that's really uh good information for people but I need for you to reach out because I don't know what farm shop you have I don't know what your farm shop looks like and don't be embarrassed you don't have to have these farm shops like you see on tv that everything is uh, looks like a 10 million dollar place like a like a like it belongs in the a magazine no, no, no. This is this is the down and dirty. If your shop is beautiful, that's great. Nobody's going to know it because it's a rate. It's a podcast. I mean, it's a radio show. It's going to be on the radio show. And then, if it's not beautiful, then nobody's going to know that either. But we're talking about the functional aspects of the farm shop. And I know that there's a lot of people that are listening that have quite. Uh, I'm I'm going to use the word elaborate elaborate not meaning fancy elaborate meaning extremely functional with a lot of equipment in their farm shop and a very proficient working in it so i'd like to bring that knowledge because it's always i say a transfer of knowledge because that's what life is all about that and i want you to teach me so you could transfer knowledge back to me because i don't have a uh, a lock on knowledge I don't have a lock on knowledge at all. I just happen to know a couple of things. That's that's basically about it. But I like to learn from learn from you and you from me, and that's what it is uh, all about here at Farm Machinery Digest and the Idle Chatter podcast. So, basically, with that, we're going to talk. We're going to go. We're going to go right into today's subject, and hopefully, I don't make this show go on for till uh, the time to plant corn, which is basically around the corner but more than you want to listen and you know there's a subject i've and once again i've touched on things briefly over the past few years with this show on on how it how weather and temperature and everything affects an engine and it's something that we all experience but i want to really delve more into air temperature today and how air temperature and incoming air temperature and all of this how this affects uh an engine maybe get into a little bit about barometer and humidity so this is going to be a crash course on it when there is not an engine out there that doesn't that is not affected by the weather and uh whether it's diesel, whether it's gas, whether it's multi-cylinder, whether it's turbocharged, no matter what it is, if it's a a drag racer and it's uh, got a juice on it, uh, nitrous oxide, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit at the end maybe, or somewhere in there, because that's kind of almost like the uh, mother nature in a bottle type of deal. So that is where we're going to go today, because everyone has experience, if you're astute, even, even minorly astute, no disrespect, that uh, sometimes, an engine seems peppier. Seems uh, just just more like like on uh, on uh, on caffeine. And other times it seems like woo, woo, woo. I mean not that it's a real dog, <clears throat> not that it's a real dog dog, but you can feel it doesn't seem as sharp. It's not like there. There's like a person say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not that sharp today, right? Which is basically how I'm feeling today. Not that sharp. So. Uh, And engines experience the same thing, but really, just like people and animals are impacted by the weather, and so are engines. Alrighty, without any further ado, let's get into this. Well, the first thing that you need to understand is that for the the mixture to to, uh, burn, not explode, to burn in an engine whether it's gasoline or diesel makes no difference it needs to have fuel and it needs to have it needs to have air which is basically a uh, majority oxygen we'll leave the number at that in two percent around 19 19 percent oxygen and two percent other gases So i think it works out to be just about 21 percent um so if you look at that so the engine needs fuel and air and what ha- basically happens is so the engine actually in, inducts in, uh, in, in air, which is the oxygen and the other gases in, that are in, carried along in the air. So it's major- the majority of it is oxygen. And if you happen to have what we would call dirty air in a dino cell, it means that the air is polluted with the exhaust gas, And then the engine doesn't run as well. Not that it doesn't run. And the same thing happens in atmosphere. So in essence, what really is the the determining factor is based upon the oxygen content in the air that is being introduced to the engine. So that's the whole thing. So if you have a higher level of oxygen content, then you have a better chemical to mechanical energy conversion rate regardless of anything else so you need the oxygen and then you need to have the proper amount of fuel to let all of that oxygen be consumed excuse me and even and as you if you look at engineering texts like ober or uh i forgot what the other one is is a bunch of um uh, they're like boilerplate standard issue automotive engine engine uh engine engine engineering text i forgot what the other one was like uh, i don't want to get up and look off if i get up i have to walk away from the, the microphone but in, in engineering we in, in let me back up in this level the farm shop level the mechanic level the drag racer level the enthusiast level whatever it may be the farmer level whatever you want to call it not anything other than engineering we'll say the engine is rich the engine is lean all right but they do not look at it that way they identify it as as uh as excess air or or air, or the air deficient, deficient air. So excess air would be too much air, which we would call, qualify as a lean mixture. And then oxygen deficient, they would say, is is a rich mixture. So there's not enough oxygen. And the amount of oxygen, we'll use that, because that's the true. That's what actually is uh, taking part in the combustion. The amount of oxygen is going to determine. The air-fuel ratio, because the air-fuel ratio is a a ratio of fuel to, we say, air. People use those terms interchangeably. And they bounce back and forth, which gets confusing to the layperson. So we say excess air, and then we say oxygen deficient. We don't say air deficient. We don't say we don't say excess oxygen. they say excess air and or oxygen deficient. So here it is. is, are two different things, air and oxygen, <clears throat> but the industry kind of uses them back and forth. So if I in this podcast today, if I bounce back and forth, know that even though it's not technically correct, it's a common colloquialism that is used all right so we say we have an air leak we don't say we have an oxygen leak so because it's really that's what the engine is ingesting so in essence the first couple of things we have to realize is that everything is based upon oxygen because we can control the amount of fuel and it doesn't make any difference whether it's a carburetor whether it's throttle body injection whether it's a gasoline port injection whether it's a diesel direct injection diesel pump line nozzle diesel makes no difference we have the ability to control the fuel that is going into the cylinder however it happens to get there within reason within the, the flow capacity of the carburetor, or the injector, or the fuel system, or the diesel, the nozzle, the injection pump, on all this put together. But we have a range of adjustment, just like a crescent wrench, right, has a range of adjustment, you could close it up, or you can make it to a certain size, or a pipe wrench, same thing. So there's a range of, there's a range of flow available. But so we could control that, and however it's controlled is moot, but for all intents and purposes, we cannot control the amount of air that gets into an engine because that is based upon, first of all, the good Lord, Mother, people call it Mother Nature, and uh, yes, Mother Nature is uh, the good Lord, right? So, and then the other thing that's going to happen is the temperature of the air. So let me try to bring some sense to this for you air is elastic it expands and contracts so when and think of it as when it's a cold when it's a cold day when it's a cold day and you let you you kind of put you put your arms around yourself and you you try to hold your heat in right and uh and when it's a hot day you like to uh to to spread out if you look like a chicken right a chicken if it's a cold day she'll pull her feathers in closer and she'll uh, fluff, up, fluff up her feathers to give better to give her body better insulation and then if it's if she's hot then she'll put her wings out and she'll pant and she'll put her wings out and she'll uh to to get to get airflow under her wings and to let her body release some heat so and I, my girls, I just said, "Well, I said you're laying in the sun, sunbathing, and you, you, and, and well, you're standing in the sun. You got your wings out, and you're panting. Go over there in the shade." So, uh, <clears throat> but I guess they they enjoy the sun. It would be like a, the person laying out in the sun and then saying, "Well, they're hot," but uh, I guess they do the same thing. But they lay it, they love to lay out. And the chickens love to lay out in the sun. So. What happens is with air, getting back to it being elastic, is that it expands and contracts with heat. So as the as the air, which is oxygen and other carriers, we'll say that, and as you heat the air, what's happening is the oxygen molecules are moving further apart. So it's like a chicken spreading her, putting her wings out and almost opening up, I'll call it her armpits or wing pits to get, to get a cooling effect. And then when the air is colder, the air becomes condensed. Just like you huddle together and close, you know, close put your arms around yourself trying to keep warm. Whereas when the air is colder, the oxygen molecules, I don't want to say shrink, they pull in closer to one another. So they heat and they, they heat, they contract and they expand. And that's why we like to say when we're talking about calibrations, on engines, that air is elastic, so they, they call that the elastic the ability to expand and contract. And that's why most engines use even uh, a lot of tier four diesels today, use what is called the mass airflow sensor. So it's able to read the mass, and mass is a oh weight. Of right because you say something is it's a, not a volume it's a weight the mass of the air coming into the engine so it's able to it's not going to compensate people say oh, it compensates that no it doesn't compensate basically all it is is that the reading is changing in it because of the air temperature and that's why a mass airflow sensor has an air temperature sensor in it almost every mass airflow has an air temperature sensor and i have not seen one that does not sometime they'll have another mass air, another air temperature sensor excuse me but they always look at the air temperature because that is part of the calculation in what is called a transfer table now the transfer table is not something that you could look at the mass airflow sensor and see or uh, look at the ecu and see it or what have you and what it is is, is an algorithm it's a it's a it's um it's, it's math it's a it's a calculation let me put that way that'd be the easiest way for me to explain it just like if you're looking at a corn planter and you're setting up your corn planter so mm-hmm. my my corn planter is built on 28 inch rows i've told you that many times instead of 30 inch and i have precision planting precision planting finger meters and it's a ground drive planter so it has a gear train and then what basically happens is that you figure out what population you want based on population meaning how many seeds you're going to put per acre it's always per acre and based upon the spacing minus 28 inches and they have a chart and then you look at the chart, and it's a lot. It's, a, it's what what we would call in computer and engine management logic. It's a lookup table. But when it's printed on a piece of paper, it's a paper, it's a chart, just like a Rand McNally road atlas lapsus- would be. Well, if you want to know how far it is from Chicago to to Omaha, you go on the road atlas, and you say, okay, Chicago, Omaha, and then you come down and you come to a point that says X amount of miles. Well, that basically is a lookup table, and that is what is in the ECU, but on a, on a mass airflow sensor, because the mass airflow sensor on an engine, regardless of what it is, I keep repeating myself because I know people close their ears, and they say, oh, that's for gasoline because I happen to mention gas. that's not for diesel, or, the, or vice versa, is that they call it a transfer table. So they look at the mass of the air, right coming in and they also look at the temperature and they have it with this transfer table is going to correlate the temperature of the air and the mass use two data points like longitude and latitude right you can't find something on a globe if you just have longitude or just latitude you need two points and it's going to determine <clears throat> the air flow into the engine that is going into the cylinders and usually it's red <clears throat> well, it's usually read in grams, all right, and grams per second. But we don't have to go there. So that's what. So what the transfer table is? You could think of it like a back of a Rand McNally road atlas, but for air flow into the engine. Because what the ECU wants to, recognizes is that getting back to the air is elastic. If the air is hotter, we have less molecules coming in and if the air is colder we have more molecules because it's more densely packed right like like packing uh you know five pounds of sausage in a three pound sack all right so now keep in mind that an engine is the most powerful or makes the most power for the fuel consumed when it is has a dense charge. Engines like cold, dense air. But other things come into play because we're not, we're not, it, it, when an engine is running in atmosphere, so the humidity comes into play and the barometric pressure comes into play. So when you put this all together, that is why your engine may... Feel sharper, better, perky, or whatever term you want to use to 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 uh, to qualify that today and then tomorrow, everything feels a little bit soft, a little bit doggy. And if you're a drag racer, and this doesn't really happen so much in roundy round racing or tractor the poles or uh, or uh, road racing and what have you, <clears throat> is that we'll say it's good air. Oh, today's good air. Today's good air. And what good, what good air means is that the air is colder cooler and they have a they have a they have an instrument that they use and it's called altitude density and it really when i say it doesn't exist most metrics that are used to to determine things in engineering in life which kind of goes back to my podcast the other day about data is a calculation so just like horsepower doesn't exist horsepower is a calculation of torque the amount of work an engine can do and how quickly it could do it so we and then they came up James Watt in the 1600s came up with a calculation for horsepower because the common metric that people use back then was you know well, that's a three horse plow that's a two horse plow that's a four horse plow so he needed to have some sort of convergence so a lot of things that we use as 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 standards are really don't exist they're, they're just mathematical calculations that that we've accepted as the as the qualifier for something if that makes sense just like a a bushel of corn a bushel is really not a a, a weight measurement but it's measured but we say a bushel of corn is 56 pounds or a bushel of soybeans or wheat is 60 pounds well if you're putting it in the same container right so if the container is a volume, and you're putting in 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 the same container, well, we should just say that's three bushels of soybeans. Well, whatever. So I didn't I didn't do that. Just like a half ton pickup truck. Well, a half ton pickup truck is actually meaningless, because well, or half tons or three quarter tons or one ton. Well, I my Ranger is considered a. Uh, I don't even know. It's not considered a half ton. I don't know. They call it a. A, uh, a a quarter of a ton. I have no idea what it's called, the smaller pickup trucks. And uh, I, I regularly put over 2,000 pounds in it, right? And if you bought a half-ton pickup truck, other than a Ram with, with coil springs, you could put 3,000 pounds in it with no problem. Your Ram, you put 3,000 pounds, it's on the butt. I know some people are mad, but the fact... Hey, look, the facts are the facts. All right, so the thing is that no Ram... 1500 is carrying 3000 pounds without air shocks in it all right sort of thing is that uh it's on a bumper with sparks dragging <clears throat> but you say to yourself well it's a half ton pickup as long as it should only take a thousand pounds so as a, to not belabor this in life we have different different ways of measuring things and you could just look at something very common like the temperature scale The Fahrenheit temperature scale, water freezes at 32 degrees. The Celsius temperature scale, it freezes at zero degrees, which actually makes more sense if you look at it that way. But, excuse me, we are get a drink of water. Excuse me, but if you uh, grew up thinking Celsius or grew up thinking Fahrenheit, then you're going to think that way regardless. So, in essence... We need to recognize when we're doing a calibration on fuel injection that the air is elastic, expands and contracts. but you say, well, what happened with a carburetor?" Well a carburetor kind of did the, the carburetor did the same thing almost naturally. Uh, I spoke about a, a mass airflow sensor on fuel injection. Well, the most accurate mass airflow sensor in the world is probably a carburetor because it inherently works upon on the pressure differential, but it does not have the ability to tweak the amount of fuel for the amount of oxygen. So if we have a colder denser mixture on a fuel injection system it will administer more fuel to get that same stoichiometric mixture of 14.7 to one to have the chemical the greatest amount of chemical released from the fuel whereas a carburetor has no ability to do that for all intents and purposes it's going to put the same amount of fuel because the same because the amount of fuel is strictly based upon the orifice sizes in the carburetor so if you have a certain jet size in it you have a certain air bleed size then it's going to do the same thing almost the same thing regardless but it's not going to be able to tailor the fuel and that is why if you think back and i'm going to get back into the topic at hand is that back in 1981 General Motors came out with the feedback, what they called the electronic carburetor, and that was an excellent, excellent, excellent design. And then, then ultimately, other companies came out with with with. Uh, with feedback carburetors i don't think they were as good as the general motors chrysler had some uh, ford had the variable venturi was actually an excellent carburetor and they had a feedback variable venturi but the general motors was by far in my estimation the simplest to work with the easiest to work with and and if and and hands down i'd have to say the best rochester carburetor had any everybody nailed i mean they they were just unbelievable so but the what the feedback General Motors Rochester did is that is they would duty cycle, they would cycle ten hertz per second, so ten hertz, which is ten cycles per second, the metering rods in and out of the main jets. So you, that's why you see tick 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 tick. And what it basically did is that it was ingenious because they used that. Because that that system had an engine a very early engine management system, and they used that to compensate for the changes in the amount of oxygen, the and the weather conditions, which I didn't discuss yet, and to keep the mixture at fourteen point seven to one. Whereas prior to that, in nineteen eighty instead of nineteen eighty one. <clears throat> A non-feedback, non-electronic Rochester carburetor was like every other carburetor. It whatever happened, happened. It would base the it would work strictly on the pressure differential between the atmospheric pressure that's on the flow pole and the fuel that isn't working against the fuel on the flow pole and the sizes of the jets and the, the orifices and the tubes and the transfer slots inside the carburetor. The plumbing. We'll call it the plumbing. I should have said that three minutes ago. <clears throat> so now we have to worry about the um, the amount of oxygen and the amount of oxygen is going to be impacted by two other things well we have three things all together the temperature the barometric pressure and the amount of humidity so if you have a very humid day <clears throat> excuse, excuse me i'm just going to uh put the clear my throat for a second okay <clears throat> i'm back if sorry about that if you have a very humid day and uh in the in the summertime we call it humidity and in the wintertime we call it dampness but if you if you look uh but if you look at it all right there's just it's it's reading the amount of moisture in the air now there's a basic tenant of physics it's an oversimplification that two things can't occupy the same place at the same time so now we have this air which is a combination of of oxygen and two percent other gases and now we have air that is very very laden with moisture so it's very humid so now what basically happens is that the humidity is the bully it takes the oxygen and pushes it away So now we have air molecules, we have nitrogen molecules, other gases, and now we have water molecules in there. So we have much less oxygen. And what do we need to make to burn the fuel? We don't need to to have the chemical to mechanical energy exchange. We need oxygen because the fuel's not gonna burn with water. It needs to have oxygen. So what happens is that we have less oxygen coming into the cylinder for every stroke of the piston regardless of whether it's diesel, gas, or what have you. And we are then, even if we have the ability to control the air-fuel ratio, because we're putting less fuel into the cylinder, granted we have less oxygen, so we're keeping the mixture ratio, and that's where people get confused the mixture ratio but still the thing is that we have less fuel and the fuel is what makes the heat when it's burned and so we have less pressure working against the piston and thus we make less power the engine runs fine but it may, we make less we make less power so humidity that's why going back to the drag races saying oh it's a good air today so the air is cool and what is what are they basically say with that to me well cool in relative terms is that the that the, the oxygen it's oxygen rich that's probably the most technical way for me to say it accurately it's oxygen rich and we have low humidity all right and if we have low humidity and uh, sort of means that we have no moisture molecules pushing the oxygen out of to get out of here, I'm going to come in here because I'm heavier. All right, so we don't have that. So we basically, to recap as we start to move forward, so the... Uh, the temperature of the air and what is the temperature basically going to do it's going to displace and push out the oxygen molecules because it's going to wipe my chickens with their wings out to get some air right to cool uh, air to cool off so it's going to so it's going to be less dense and then if we have humidity and we have a lack of humidity then we're going to have more oxygen molecules because of no uh, moisture if we have very heavy heavily laden air with humidity with moisture we're pushing the oxygen molecules out all right and then the third thing that's coming into play is the barometric pressure so now the barometric pressure is the weight of the of the atmosphere onto the earth am if somebody's a weatherman, I know that's not a hundred percent correct, but for this, for for this, it is is good enough, all right? Because you have to remember two things is that on a carbureted application the weight of the atmospheric pressure is what is working against the float bowl to feed fuel through the passages the plumbing of the carburetor you say well i don't have a carburetor i got fuel injection or i got a diesel well the other aspect that the atmosphere serves is it fills the cylinders with air because if we have, because the just like the carburetor works on the dis, on the differential, the difference between atmospheric pressure and the fuel in the float ball pushing, all right? The atmospheric pressure is pushing, pushing like you push, you know like you're pushing something with a tractor. And then the other thing that comes into play, which a lot of people don't recognize, is that the way an engine fills its cylinders, is through the pressure differential. And I've discussed this on my show, the pressure differential between the low pressure region, all right, and of what a lot of people would call it a vacuum. And by definition, a vacuum is anything that's less than atmospheric pressure. So really the idea of a vacuum changes based upon how much atmospheric pressure you have. What's a, what, is a, what a vacuum is in death valley or i should say vacuum up in denver is not a vacuum in death valley because death valley has such a low altitude that there's more atmosphere pushing down so we have more atmospheric pressure all right so the higher you go the less pressure there is so the way the cylinder is filled is that the piston moving down with the ring package is actually causing a low pressure region and it is and the atmospheric pressure is pushing the air into the cylinder forget about the fuel at this particular point the air into the cylinder so now let's try to put this all together that you know you talk about as a farmer we talk about variability in the soil that we go across a field and even though my fields are small there's variability in the soil and and some places the crop grows better and some cro- places the crop doesn't grow as good because there's the seed is the same the fertilizer is the same the planter is the same the yo-yo driving and attractor excuse me me is the same so what is different is that the soil variability the composition of the soil the amount of organic matter the, the cec of the soil the tilt of the soil everything so there's soil variability and the whole idea is that it may not be that variable but it does have a certain level of variability and every farmer recognizes that who has done soil tests or is trying to figure out why does the corn not look so good over here right but just like when you plant plant a crop and i always reference corn because that's the crop that i grow is that if you go nearer my hedge rows and i have trees there then that corn doesn't grow as well on one side of the field because the trees are shadowing it so we have to look at it and say well is it soil variability or is it the amount of sunlight that can be harvested because at a certain time of day it gets shadowed there it doesn't have the intense sun and that's why my crop grows the best like anybody's crop grows the best when it's in the middle of the field and has the most amount of ultraviolet and uh, heat units and uh, photosynthesis is probably the most accurate thing for me to say so if, if you got a big 10,000-acre field, a 1,000-acre field, and you have no trees around there, then you have a lot less variability as far as the sun is concerned. You may have soil variability, but you have a lot less variability as far as photosynthesis is concerned. Well, the same thing happens with an engine. And a few weeks back, I was talking about the combustion variability. All right, but now what we're talking about is weather variability temperature variability and all these things that come together so when you have a lot of moisture in the air then the air fuel ratio is going to be skewed and the engine is going to be pumping pumping air instead of oxygen air. and then what happens is that if you have the barometric pressure changes then you're going to have less Less cylinder fill, which we measure, is volumetric efficiency. All right, which is the amount of of air filling the the cylinder. Because you would think, well, if it's a three hundred cubic inch motor, it's filling the cylinders up to the top, like filling up your coffee cup to the brim. It does not, because the engine does not have the ability naturally aspirated meaning when they say naturally aspirates the pressure differential there's no there's no artificial means of filling the cylinders and what the artificial means is a turbocharger or a supercharger so we put this all together And the fact is that just like you have soil variability and yield variability, a farmer has a yield map. Oh man, over here I got 500 bushels per acre. Over here I only got 300 bushels per acre. He may not have (laughs) an acre like that but what the monitor in the combine is reading what's going through the header into through the feeder house from the header into the feeder house and it's saying right there at that particular point he has 500 bushels per acre now if he rides across the whole field that goes for 100 feet and it's reading 500 bushels per acre then that's that's it, everything is valid but it's right there all right so wherever it's reading it wherever it's taking the, the crop into the into the header of the combine and processing it all right uh, and that's what the reading is so you have to look at the average for the whole field not just saying I have 500 bushels per acre right there so the thing in, in essence is that you have to look at that when you are driving a, a vehicle or a farm tractor, and I'm going to use a vehicle because the farm tractor, that's going to change also based upon the weather, but it's it's you're not going as fast and you're not going through that very terrain. So if you're going 10 miles per hour through a field with a farm tractor, you're flying, right? If you're going down with a road vehicle, be it a truck or a car, you're going 65, 70, maybe out was 80 miles an hour. So you have to realize that you're going for instance let's say i get in my little fiesta and i'm going across i-80 in pennsylvania well so for east coast there's a big variation in altitude there but what, but what happens is that it's not only the altitude that is varying how much power my engine makes it's all the other components it's the temperature of the air it's the amount of humidity in the air and it is the altitude, all right, because the altitude is actually affecting two things. It could be affecting the temperature of the air, because you go up on the mountain and it's cooler, right? So if I go up from down over here, so oh, and you and and you or, and you walk up, go I shouldn't say walk, go up the mountain, so and you look at the thermometer, the, the most cars today, like mine has, and outside the mountain, so oh, I'm up on top of the mountain, the temperature dropped three degrees. Well, the engine is going to recognize that. But in the same point, it's going to recognize and say, well, the barometric pressure is a little bit different here, or the humidity is a little bit different here. Maybe it's more, maybe less. So it's just like if you were to look at a field average, is that, the, that it's, the, it's the yield across the whole field, and you have to really determine, going back to yield on a farm, you have to really determine, well, did I yield here? or not yield here, for what reason? And the thing is that, so you may have wor- poor, poorer soil, we'll say soil variability, poorer soil, but it got more sunlight. So maybe that section yield very equivalent to where the better soil was, but with less sunlight. Or well, maybe, in essence, it all it out yielded the better soil with less sunlight. Uh, even though the soil was poorer, the fertility was poor, the amount of organic matter was 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 less. So you put this all together, and and the end result is the yield. Where well, you put this all together in an engine, and the and the yield. they always say this: the yield of the engine is the horsepower, the torque, and its fuel economy. That's what its yield is. Its fuel economy. So now you're probably going to go nuts with this now (laughs) with everything i said the fact of the matter is that every engine no matter how well it's designed no matter how well it's built no matter how good a mechanic you are is going to make it's going to run differently and what i mean differently is the chemical to mechanical exchange all right that exchange based upon everything i said now if you think back to well, probably 40 minutes ago, I was saying, and I'm using a mass airflow sensor because those systems have the ability to compensate. And and I say, they look at the incoming air temperature. Well, most engines look at the incoming air temperature, so that's in the mass airflow right prior to it, depending upon the application. And then they often, I don't know of one that does not, because it gets back to that transfer table is they look at the temperature of the air in the plenum of the engine so they're looking at it at two different points and in engineering we'd call that degrees of freedom two different points right longitude and latitude because we say okay we have and i'll I'll use the uh, english system the american system because i'm comfortable with that so we have 30 degree air coming into the engine okay that's going through our mass airflow so our mass airflow center is using that through the transfer table to determine all right the density of the air and the, the mass of the air so i call mass airflow all right uh the mass of the air it's okay we know what we're getting over here and then they'll say hey what's happening down there right and it looks at the and usually in the plenum of the intake manifold and it looks at the temperature of the air there and then that is what is called a trim factor so it would be just like you going and looking at something saying well i'm driving down the road well it's got a high crown road i got to cut the wheel a little bit to keep the car going to keep the car or the truck going straight all right if you look at if you have auto steer the thing is constantly going back and forth it's not going 80 eight, 90 degrees back and forth god forbid but it's going back and forth maybe with a range of five or ten degrees of rotation in the steering wheel and and if the thing is that if your field is very flat very smooth there's nothing in then the amount of of rowing back and forth this thing was almost minimal if, if that at all so what happens is that as this air so it came in at 30 degrees let's say into the mass airflow sensor but once it got into the manifold the plenum of the manifold and the plenum is the common area that feeds that's it's a common storage like a center fill system on a planter All right. So that's the common the common storage or if you have a a a a well well you well tank in your house, right? For you the thing is that so you have this one this one storage area and then all the pipes, the kitchen, bathroom, toilet, shower come out of the feed out of that well tank. So the plenum is a common storage area. And why is it hotter in the plenum well it's hotter in the plenum because there's the thermal transfer from the heat of combustion into that air so now basically we have air that's coming in at 30 degrees but by the time it gets into the plenum, all right. now that air may be 100, 130 degrees or even higher. It could be 300 degrees on a hot summer day. So what's going to happen is now we have the air. We had nice 30 degree air. We had pretty good air. All right, and now we're getting into the plenum, and the, the temperature from the engine is, is heated. The plenum heated the air, and then what's happening now is those oxygen molecules are like my girls, my chickens, and they're putting their wings out. Right, it's hot in here. It's hot in here, Daddy. Right, and they call me Daddy. It's hot in here. We're gonna get some air. We're gonna put our wings out. Let out. We're gonna we're gonna we're going to uh, cool off a little bit. So what happens is now the air is less dense in the plenum, because we are now moving these oxygen molecules away from each other because it now is 100 degrees hotter. So this, this is a, always a constant battle with an engine. Every engine, whether it's a lawnmower engine, it makes no difference. So the thing is, the, using that, keeping that in mind, that there is a general rule of thumb. There's a rule that for every 10 degrees Fahrenheit, now we're not talking about barometric pressure, what I said, we're not talking about humidity, all right, we're just talking about temperature alone. For every 10 degrees Fahrenheit that the incoming air that the let me shouldn't say incoming the air that is being fed to the saunders is more accurate all right that the air that is being fed to the cylinders changes that the engine's power is altered by one percent that's one o-n-e one percent so and as the air is colder the power goes up by one percent as the air is heated the power goes down by one percent all right so if we have 30 degree air coming in to the cell to the mass airflow sensor or the carburetor or whatever or through the the induction system on an old pump line nozzle diesel makes no difference all right i'm using just using that one those that one example and we have a hundred degree air coming in the plenum of the manifold so if it's if it's uh one percent or excuse me ten one 1% power drop for every 10 degrees fahrenheit so then we have a 10 percent power drop because of the heated air so the thing is that when an engine is rated it's rated at a certain incoming air temperature so the so we it, and when they dyno it they have a correction factor and says okay we're looking at the air coming in and we have this air coming in it's the main look at it in the plenum it's judging it that way and that they mathematically change the numbers all right and uh, on the dyno sheet because it's correcting for that air temperature so the thing is that let's say you have a 400 horsepower engine i don't care whether it's in a car or whether it's in a combine So that 400-horsepower engine, when it's rated at 400 horsepower, the industry has a standard. It's Society of Automotive Engineers has a standard for air temperature, barometric pressure, and humidity. And then the dyno, the modern dynos are all computer-controlled, old the old dynos they had a knob an analog knob that you would turn for air correction factor that's your oh spin the dyno until it spin the dial until it check because you tweak the 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 correction factor i never did this obviously and i mean that sincerely to give the customer a number you promised them so if you promised them 800 horsepower and it only made 780 well you just have to turn that knob on the dyno the correction factor and tell the dyno that the air, that the air is worse than it really is and then all of a sudden it'll correct it to now you got eight ten, engine made no more power so the thing is that it that all comes into place so when they rate an engine they rate an engine at an sae test and there's all different standards and it's, for some reason always starts with a j that i know like j5867 and you could look that up you could probably go to sae's website or whatever and see what that what that test standard is and what that test standard will tell you is what the barometric pressure is what the air temperature is and what the humidity is now if you have an engine that has a propensity to want to have an abnormal combustion event ping or knock and it's a muggy day with a lot of humidity is that that moisture will actually help that situation so you may say you're full of it hot rod because my engine always pings and when it's a when it's a muggy day and it's raining it doesn't ping and it feels better That's right, because that's acting like an old water injection system and the phase change due to the latent heat of vaporization, all of that humidity in the air is actually cooling the charge. And in that particular instance, it's stopping it from having an abnormal combustion event or as aggressive as abnormal combustion event. But that is putting a band-aid on that's a false thing that's like a like an electric car driving down the road with a generator on a trailer and charging the battery say look 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 i'm electric How about like, you're electric but the generator is making the power and putting it into the battery so uh no, you know, as an aside, I've said this before. You guys could look it up. Who's was the Michigan Madman, they used to call him. He had a tractor pull. He had, a, he had everything. But this guy, it was it was after World War. It was in the 60s, maybe into the... He probably started in the 50s, into the 60s. He was called the Michigan Madman. And he used to buy all of this from i never i was a kid when i read about him or war surplus stuff and he had this motorcycle and he had a he used to drag race it it was a, what they called an exhibition guy all right they would pay him to come to the track like these jet like these jet funny cars are and these jet dragsters and they overfuel them and they go boom 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 and they blow the flames out the back and everything so uh that the, they're actually it's like an afterburner they're sticking they modified to throw fuel in there so it blows these flames out the back to put on a show and they get paid to go to the vents. oh two jet jet funny cars side by side and uh, as an aside to that also is that the uh, National Hot Rod Association limits them to how quick they can go. They could destroy, a, I mean destroy as far as the ET is concerned, a, a piston engine funny car, but they only go for a part of the track and they shut them down by law because they have, uh, they're freewheeling. They don't have an engine and a transmission, just a jet engine back there pushing them but anyway this michigan madman what he did is he got this big electric motor god knows where some industrial motor and he put it on a motorcycle frame you know made a motorcycle frame and then he would actually run it drag race it with an extension cord well it was an extension cord like you went to lowes and bought he would make up this cord and and people who put drag lines down for uh Uh, for manure or drag lines for irrigation and will understand this concept and he had this cord on a big reel and he had a uh what we call an IC internal combustion engine generator, big um, probably was a diesel, probably a big military generator on a truck that he'd have parked there in the staging lanes, and then he would go up with the motorcycle, and as the motorcycle went down the down the track, he would be still on the extension, it would be powered up off the extension. Well, I'm calling an extension called power off the off the off the. Uh, the electrical cable, and then they would wind the cable back up and, and pull a motorcycle back. And you could look him up, Michigan Madman. He had a lot of crazy things. But the sort of thing is that what I'm saying at is that you know you have to look at it and say, well, how did this get here? Uh, what is the situation because ultimately just like a farmer going across a field is his yield is going to be different and as the things change with an engine the amount of power it's going to make and the the emissions and the, the chemical i always call it the chemical to mechanical energy exchange because that truly is what it what it's all about so to recap as we get near the end of this that uh well i'm not near the end yet so to be like in church oh good the the service is over right well you have to sit here a little bit and listen to me (laughs) a little bit more is that now i know that a lot of people had well some people had reached out not a million about nitrous oxide but with nitrous oxide and it's used basically on drag racing is that it is we call mother nature in a bottle it is oxygen all right so it's a high concentration of oxygen that is being forced into the cylinders and it because of the chemical reaction the night the nitrogen and the oxygen and the pressure is that it goes into the cylinder very cold so not only is nitrous oxide putting additional oxygen in the cylinder all right which allows you then to put additional fuel in the cylinder which allows you to make a lot more power all right it has a cooling effect because it's so cold and it and as it comes out of the bottle due to the phase change and what have you we won't get into that all right. so the thing is that this so it actually has a double of a double positive effect it's putting oxygen into this into the cylinder bores for the engine to make more power it's doing that and then it is also chilling everything so every so the natural oxygen that's coming in right through the pumping of the pistons is now actually condensing even more and that chilling effect and the oxygen and the turbulence it causes requires more fuel and less ignition time because the burn speed. And we did a show a couple of weeks ago about burn speed versus flame speed. All right, so so the burn speed <coughs> becomes accelerated because it's because of those because of those factors that I just spoke about. So that is why you have to have the engine not you have to have the engine wants less ignition lead Uh, when nitrous is being evoked people say retarding the timing yes well it's retarding the timing from the optimum without nitrous so you're not really retarding the timing it's basically saying okay that this is the amount of timing that the engine wants with nitrous and without nitrous so if it always let's say arguably always ran on nitrous you had a 10,000 gallon tanker following the following the uh the engine the truck the car whatever it may be then that would be the timing but since it's less timing than we want from normally aspirated conditions then we call it retarding the timing but it's really not retarding the timing it's the optimal amount of it, or it's the optimal timing the initiation of the ionization voltage the ionization Of the spark plug to be based upon the conditions there so but we say retard the timing well it's retarded from where it was without nitrous so that is what that does so it's so that's why it's called a power adder because it's adding power by putting more oxygen into the cylinders and the cooling effect and now if we go to the turbocharger side or supercharger side right? but farm equipment diesel engines are turbocharged back the old detroit diesels anybody i love i love those they were supercharged and turbocharged so they, they were they were covering both bases as far as filling the cylinders are concerned, and what that what it does and it's called generically forced induction. So you're forcing the air into the cylinders. So what basically happens is that you are making up to a certain extent uh, this the 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 atmospheric conditions that are going to impact the cylinder fill based upon the barometric pressure but the heating element still comes into play and that is why the diesel engine or a supercharged engine gas or diesel we'll stick with that for diesel for the most for the most part has what's called a, a intercooler or a charge air cooler it's really an intercooler A lot of engines call it a charge air cooler. By definition, if you were to look at an engineering text, the fuel and air have to be in mixed together homogenized all right so to be called a charge air cooler because when you say the cylinder is filled with charge that means that the fuel and air is already mixed together so like a carburetor has fuel and air mixing together before it gets to the intake manifold runners so that is called charge on a port fuel injecting engine or a diesel engine right whether it's um, a direct injection or indirect with a pre-chamber and they call it charge air cooler. that's technically wrong because air is only coursing through that and not air and fuel but whatever like i said it makes no difference all right so but the proper name is intercooler if there's no homogenized fuel and air going through it so but the same <clears throat> the same physics applies is that for every 10 degrees Fahrenheit that we're going to change the temperature of the air, we're going to impact power by 1%. So on a turbocharged engine, there's two things that are happening. Number one, it is exhaust-driven, so you have thermal transfer from the turbine side, which is the exhaust side. Some people call it the hot side into the compressor side and some people call it the cold side all right the whole idea is to limit that but you're going to have some but the actual compression of the air squeezing those air molecules making the air denser all right is uh is going to heat the air so how is it heating it so it's actually a catch-22 because you're squeezing the air together right and now the friction of the air molecules all right so which is oxygen and two and, and other gases rubbing against each other being squeezed in there right is going to is going to raise the temperature so that is why they have an intercooler so they're trying to they're going to compress the air and then they're going to put it through this heat exchanger because an intercooler is a heat exchanger it's going to exchange heat all right and because hot goes to cold so if the air is very hot from the compression of the molecules and on other things it's still it's starting out hot right it's starting all the other aspects of the barometric pressure the humidity in the air and the temperature of the incoming air that i discussed a half hour ago are still valid with a turbocharged engine the only thing is the turbocharger is making up for a little bit of that and negating it uh because it's it's squeezing more air in and putting the oxygen molecules closer together but all of that but you know just like anything is that you you know you could if you don't have the proper fertility in your field then yes you're going to have that soil variability the uh, the photosynthesis variability maybe the water variability right but still it's still starting with your seed so if the air if you're up in up in the mountains in Montana, and uh, a storm is coming in, there's a lot of humidity, all right, uh, which they need there right now. And the barometric pressure is low, then the turbocharged engine is still going to same suffer the same losses as a naturally aspirated engine, but. What they do on more modern turbocharged engines is they use a wastegate to control the boost pressure. So in that that situation, because the air is not as good, it's going to end up delaying the wastegate opening and it's going to build more boost pressure. But you say, you're full of a hot rod because I'm 15 pounds of boost here and there. Yes, you're 15 pounds of boost because it's compensating for it and doing its best to keep it to keep it in that range. But you will still have a pressure drop off and you will still have a power drop off, I should say, not a pressure drop off. Back in 93, uh, oh God, it was a long time ago. Unbelievable. Uh, we built the car as the first fourth generation Camaro and we competed out and I may have told you this story before out at Carcraft Real Street Eliminator Contest it was uh, uh, I forgot what his name was uh, uh, geez it's on the tip of my tongue but anyway real nice guy uh, uh, I don't uh, well whatever I'm not going to dwell on his name i haven't seen him for 30 years but anyway real nice guy built the car from he lived down in maryland and we had to tow it out to california he towed it i charlotte and i flew and he borrowed a friend's uh dodge pickup truck cummings diesel to tow the camaro in an enclosed trailer and i may have even told you a story a couple of weeks ago and it was uh, te- terribly hot out <clears throat> west they were having a terrible heat wave Thing was like 125 degrees going through the desert well this Do- this Dr- Dodge this Cummins was a non it, it was an older normally aspirated diesel because the first Cummins pickup trucks didn't have turbochargers on them and uh, naturally aspirate oh man it did have turbos but they weren't intercooled oh yeah so I think it was they had a turbo but they were not intercooled but anyway uh, the trailer was heavy uh, the thing wouldn't go over forty miles per hour because it couldn't make enough power based upon that air and he had to run at night and then when he ran at night and the air temperature dropped and and what have you then he was able to go 65 70 miles per hour pulling the trailer so when you know so you have to recognize you know what is happening and all of these things affect an engine and just like they just like on a hot muggy day you may not feel as good your animals may not feel as good all right on a on a on a, on a cold day would would on a on a cold day with a high humidity right which we would call damp in the winter time you yeah you well maybe you're getting some more oxygen because the temperature isn't having the' is having the uh uh the oxygen molecules closer but you're still getting those bullies of the humidity so the thing is that it's a balancing act, and you can't. So you can't just look at one thing and say that it would be like looking at a person. So, oh, he must be. Oh, he must. That must be. He must be a really nice guy because he's handsome. Or she must be a really nice lady girl. Or I always say, girl. My wife gets mad at me, girl, because she's so pretty. Well, yeah, she's, you're looking at one thing. You look. You're. You're. You're saying your appearance is very nice. They may be a dart bag. They may be terrible. They may be wonderful. So you have this constantly moving target and that's why when they design an engine they look to minimize these things and if you look at and you say well why do all of these new engines or most of these new engines have these plastic intake manifolds well they're not really plastic they're usually with they're nylon material but you know the colloquialism we call plastic well for two reasons number one well, there's three reasons, but the the, the idea to weight savings is minimal. But the idea is that, number one, the main reason for a, take the proper term is composite intake manifold is that there's less heat transfer from underneath the hood uh, into the incoming air. Remember, we spoke about that a few minutes ago, saying that we look at the air temperature coming into the engine, and we look at the air temperature in the plenum. So if you have less underhood heat transfer then what you're basically doing is just like you're saying well we don't have as much soil variability we're trying that we're keeping that air that oxygen that air charge denser by having less thermal transfer just from the engine running and the lack of air movement under the hood all right because when you uh, had the hood closed there's no air movement there and all of that heat's being absorbed into everything and it's called thermal inertia the transfer of heat and the other aspect of the composite intake manifold is that the surface inside is smoother than a metal or aluminum casting and that allows better air flow So we're able to limit the thermal transfer and limit and limit the frictional flow loss from the roughness of a cast aluminum or cast iron or whatever it may be, intake manifold. You're not going to cast iron. Well, you'll find cast iron intake manifolds on diesels. So you put that all together. But to put closure to this is that you have to recognize that just like the just like with planting a crop, that there's many things that come into play. And the yield of an engine is based upon its design, its function, its ability to pump air, but also these other variables that we cannot control. The temperature of the incoming air, the humidity of the incoming air, the amount of moisture, and also the barometric pressure. So if you get in your car today all right we're getting you getting it you're getting into planting season you're getting you're getting in your tractor and you are and you're pulling this big this big whatever 30 row center fill momentum planter well all right the thing of course fent right momentum so the thing, you're pulling this big planter through heavy ground all right and that tractor is working and you say Jesus, it seems to be working a little bit harder today than it did than it than it used to well what is the temperature what's the barometer what's the what's the amount of humidity and uh if you have a some sort of you know we spoke about data acquisition or some sort of data display in your farm equipment then you will see if you start to, and I spoke about that last week, reading the data, interpreting the data. If you have the ability to read the load on the engine, uh, they're unthrottled so you can't read throttle angle on a diesel, but you could determine these different things and then you could start to see this correlation of the temperature, uh the humidity and the amount of and the barometric pressure in how the engine is performing so like i said it's going to run fine but it's going to be down on power down on fuel economy and all and all of that coming together and there is nothing wrong with it so i want to thank you so much for listening if you have any questions as usual please feel free to reach out to me hot rod farmer at farm and now you could make sense of it you could get that's a man good air today right because empirically you'll start to know when how the engine runs how it feels that the air is good without looking at any instrumentation have a blessed day bye bye